so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Racial unity is an outworking of the gospel and should be a mark of the church. Yet Christians continue to be filled with strife and tension over this issue. And it's especially sad because it's about more than a problem. It's about those who God has made in His image. So at our leadership summit, Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. called the church to peace through the person of Jesus in his talk, Tearing Down the Dividing Wall, How the Gospel Shapes Racial Reconciliation. We hope this talk convicts and encourages you. Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you tonight in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It is a joy to be with you here. If you would take your copy of God's Word and make your way to Ephesians chapter 2, let me breathe a word of prayer. Would you indulge me by standing with me in honor of the author of the Scriptures? We'll pray and hear the reading of God's Word, and then you may be seated. Father, we thank you for your Word We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, who is our all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king. In his name, we pray that you would open our understanding, that we may comprehend the scriptures, cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of God. Amen. You may have your seats. I started pastoring my first church in Los Angeles at the age of 17. I did not learn how to drive until I was 19. Sad, but true. One morning, the church leader showed up at my apartment with a driving instructor in tow. And after I completed the driving instruction lessons, that church leader took me to get my driver's license. And that very day, I bought my first car. It was April 29, 1992. It was a Wednesday. I had to teach Bible study at our church and then head across town to preach specifically at a local church revival in Compton. But while I was preparing that afternoon, I paused to catch the news, and I saw that a jury in Simi Valley had voted that afternoon to 
acquit four LAPD officers of charges associated with the videotaped beating of Rodney King. As I kept watching, transfixed by what I was seeing, I later would see four black youth drag Reginald Denny from the cab of his truck and savagely beat him right on the corner of Florence and Normandy. I went in and taught the Bible study and encouraged the members of our church to go straight home. But I went to preach. And while I was in church that night, a riot broke out in our city, Los Angeles. When it was over, 53 people lost their lives. 2,383 persons were injured. That was just the reports. 3,100 businesses were looted, 7,000 fires were started, and more than $1 billion of damage was suffered. The riot didn't end until the military was called in, but there was an important turning point in the midst of it all. In the thick of the riot, Rodney King, the man in the center of it all, showed up on television. He was obviously overwhelmed and at a loss for words. And as he stammered for something to say, he asked this simple question, can't we all just get along? I submit to you the question still stands. From personal problems to family disputes to city needs around us to racial issues that we're discussing to political infighting, terrorist threats, and international conflict all begged the question, can we get along? Is true peace possible? What does it take for hate to be replaced by love, for unity to conquer division, for kindness to end hostility? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 presents for us, friends, God's plan for peace. His plan is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who can give you peace with God, peace with others, and peace with self. The verses I read to you from Ephesians 2 teach us three ways. Christ is and makes and proclaims peace. First, Paul says that Jesus Christ is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2 is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 10 is about salvation in personal terms. Verses 11 through 22 is about salvation in cultural terms. Verses 1 through 10 is about how the Lord makes Christians. Verses 11 through 22 is about how the Lord made the church. In verses 11 through 13 specifically, Paul addresses the predominantly Gentile membership of the church, reminding them of what they were before they met the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. They were without God and without hope in the world, but now they have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verses 14 through 18 will further explain how these believers got 
from where they were to where they are. He will say emphatically that there is peace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is peace in the person of Christ. Micah chapter 5 verse 5 makes a promise and prediction and prophecy about the coming Messiah King. It says simply, and he shall be their peace. This promise is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 14, he himself is our peace. Christ is the source and embodiment and personification of peace. Isaiah 6 and 9 rightly calls him the prince of peace. He himself is our peace. It is emphatic. He and he alone is our peace. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus said to his disciples, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in Psalm 34, Verse 14, the psalmist says how to have a good life. He simply says, seek peace and pursue it. But where is this peace to be found? Paul says, he himself, Christ, is our peace. There is peace in the person of Christ, but there is also peace in the work of Christ. Still in verse 14, Paul declares two ways the redemptive work of Jesus Christ proves that he is our peace. First, Paul says he has made the two one. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. But now Christ has made these two polarized groups one in him. No, he did not make the Gentiles apart of the Jews. He did not make them coexist in some separate but equal dynamic. He made the two one. Or can use comments here that Christ did not Christianize the Jews or Judaize the Gentiles. He did not create a half-breed. He made an entirely new man. This is what Paul declares in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. He says, for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, but we are one in Christ Jesus. They say that blood is thicker than water. But blood is not thicker than water if that water is called baptism. In Christ, we have been made one. But not only did he make the two one, he broke down the middle wall, the dividing wall of hostility. There were courts in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. There was a court of the Gentiles, the only place where the Gentiles was welcome. But the Bible says Christ tore down the dividing wall of hostility. This is more than about a physical structure because after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the temple was still standing. 
It was still standing when Paul wrote these words. He is talking about a spiritual attitude here, not just a physical structure. You do know, friends, that hostility can build walls without using bricks. Minister was caring for the orphans under his care and was concerned about the racial tension between these young boys. He would show up when they would travel. All of the white kids would sit on one side of the bus and all of the black kids would sit on the other side of the bus. And one day a fight broke out and he put them all off of the bus and said, there's no longer black nor white. Everybody's just green. And when they got back on the bus, somebody muttered under his voice, all the dark green on one side and all the light green on the other side. Hostility could build walls without using bricks, but Christ has broken down the dividing wall of separation. He did it in his body, which is a reference to the incarnation and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. His righteous life and his atoning death has brought down the dividing walls of hostility. And if Christ has torn down the walls, we must not build walls where he has torn them down. Jesus Christ is our peace. Likewise, Paul says, Jesus Christ has made peace for us. The beginning of verse 14, he says, he is our peace. But at the end of verse 15, he says, he has made peace for us. Christ has made peace through the law. Listen to Paul say that he did this, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This is the only verse in Scripture where those three words, laws, command, and ordinances, are used together. It is an emphatic statement that God has a righteous standard that we all fail to meet. We have broken God's law. We have disobeyed God's commandments. We have violated God's ordinances. But Jesus says the scripture has abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. In Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He did not render the law meaningless, but he laid it aside by fulfilling all of the righteous standards of God's holy law. Or as Paul says in Romans 10, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to all who believe. He made peace through the law, but he made peace at the cross. How did he fulfill and abolish commandments expressed in ordinances? The Bible says that he did it, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. Christ has reconciled us in one body, and he did it through the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, we are told that he has canceled the handwriting of ordinances that was against us with its legal requirements. Praise God for that. We broke God's law. God had our rap sheet 
but he nailed it to the cross and it is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is the answer that Paul gives to matters of race, to matters of hostility, to matters of division. He points these believers to what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. He made peace through the law. He made peace at the cross. He made peace in the church. Listen to Paul further explain. He abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Christ, by the blood of his cross, has made us reconciled to God in one body. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says there is one body and one spirit, and one hope that belongs to the, one call that belongs to the hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and through all and in you all. Christ has made us one as he has reconciled us by the blood of his cross. I like the way Paul says it. He has killed the hostility. He has killed the hostility. Which gets us to the bottom line of all of the racial issues right here. It is sin. Racial issues are essentially sin issues. In the garden, Adam and Eve were at peace with God and with one another when they sinned. They started hiding from one another with leaves and trying to hide from God among the trees. This is what sin does. It separates us from God and one another. But here again, Paul says that by the blood of his cross, Jesus Christ has killed the hostility. He has made us one body in Christ. Many couples these days get divorced claiming irreconcilable differences. But there are no such things as irreconcilable differences if Jesus has killed the hostility and made us one by the blood of his cross. How much more true is that in the church? If Christ has brought down the dividing wall of hostility, we must not rebuild the wall or allow that wall to stand in our churches. How dare we allow things like personal preferences, music styles, program emphasis, selfish ambition, and the like to trump the good news of Jesus Christ that has made us one in him. Christ is our peace. Christ has made peace for us. But then the text says Christ proclaims peace to all. Verses 14 through 16 tell us that 
Christ is peace and has made peace. But then verses 17 through 18 says that he proclaimed peace. We receive the message of peace through Christ Jesus. The Bible says in verse number 17, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. To those who were far off and to those who were near. This is not merely, I believe, a reference to the earthly ministry of Jesus, though he ministered occasionally to Gentiles. The focus of his ministry was to what he called the lost house of Israel. And verses 14 through 16 make it clear that he made peace by his death at the cross. I believe this statement in verse 17 looks beyond the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and points toward the continued work of Jesus Christ by his spirit through the church. This is an affirmation of the great commission of Jesus Christ. But he tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations. He preached peace to who? To those who were far off and to those who were near. He's already said in verses 11 through 13 that the Gentiles were far off. But Christ came preaching to those who were far off and to those who were near. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But will you note here that in verse 17, Paul reverses the order and says that Christ preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. This is a reminder that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if you are far off or near. Picture it in the days of Noah. Some people lived in the valley, maybe. Some people lived in the mountains, my imagination. I can't prove it. You can't disprove it. Play along with me in just a moment here. Say the rich people lived in the mountain, poor people lived in the valley. But when the flood came, it didn't matter if you were in the mountain or in the valley, everyone perished who did not have a ticket to ride with Noah on the good ship Grace. Or think about it in terms of Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Remember? The prodigal was lost in the far country. The elder brother was lost in the backyard. And yet the father had a loving concern for both. And this is reflected in the ministry of Jesus Christ who preached peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. We receive the message of peace through Christ. and We enjoy the privilege of peace through Christ. Verse 18 says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. Here is an affirmation of the Trinity the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-equal, co-existent. By Christ, by the God the Son, through God the Holy Spirit, we all have access to God the Father. Those who are afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we enjoy, only in Christ, we all enjoy access in the Spirit, by Christ, to God the Father. The video 
you saw moments ago mentioned, our church had been praying about planting a church in another part of our city. We're in a downtown location. We've been praying about planting a church in another part of the city. The Jacksonville Baptist Association pointed us to a facility about 20 or so miles away from us at a fast-growing area in Orange Park. We had been praying about the Orange Park area. And I never will forget when we met with the leaders of that church, they showed us the facility, and our leaders were prayerfully considering this was more than what we were expecting. But when we sat down to talk, the conversation had nothing to do with the building the leaders of the congregation began to talk to us about the possibility of us uniting to begin a new work in that community. Our church is predominantly African-American. That church was predominantly Caucasian. And we just thought this sounds crazy enough that God could be in this thing. <laughs> and we kept talking, and we kept praying, and we kept meeting, and we got to the place where both churches needed to make a decision about going forward and beginning a new work together. And the leaders from both groups said, as we get ready to have these votes, you need to say something. I was preaching to my congregation downtown and then showing up in various settings to preach to the Ridgewood Church in Orange Park. And when we were meeting to discuss what should be preached, Someone just noted that you're already preaching through the book of Ephesians. And you've made it to chapter 2. Just in all of these settings at this critical time, just keep preaching Ephesians chapter 2. And as we brace to vote, as they brace to vote, this was the text. In a condensed version, this was what I was preaching to say to us, that it is not about our race, our ethnicity, our background, our culture, our style, our preference. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is peace, who made peace, who preaches peace. Both congregations took a step of faith. You have two 100-plus-year-old churches, one white Baptist church, one black Baptist church that have moved in together and learning how to love one another. It's had its challenges, but beyond our styles, what we're used to, we have continued to try to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this past Tuesday, my heart was encouraged last week as I was teaching Bible study. It was over. And middle-aged black woman walked up to me. She had just moved to town and moved minutes away, had been looking for a church. And she says, I believe God brought this work here just for me. And moments later, a middle-aged white couple walked up to me and they said, we live in the community and we've been looking for a church. We felt we needed to get back in church and we've been watching your sermons on Sunday morning and found out that you were right here in the community and the Lord took all of the excuses away. We believe God brought you here just for us. There are a lot of things we don't have figured out. Music, programs, 
holy this, holy that. But as we keep proclaiming this Christ who is peace, who made peace, who preaches peace, God is binding our hearts together in Christian love and doing a great work to his glory. As we were going through this process, I was quite prayerful and burdened by it. I didn't know what this would look like. I got encouragement from a strange place that everything was going to be all right. I was meeting with the congregation, the Ridgewood congregation, while we were deciding <laughs> to take the step forward. They are peppering me with questions, peppering me with questions. And one old brother stood up, and he said, I have a question. He says, if these churches come together, I just want to know if you'll let us keep having the beast feast. I looked around for somebody to help me because I had never heard of the beast feast. He saw my confusion and he told me, we, 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 uh, we just kill all kind of animals and just eat them up. <laughs> we brothers come together, and we just kill stuff and we we cook it up, and the brothers get together, and we hear a gospel presentation. And I've been over this for 11 years, and I just want to know, can we still have the beast feast? <laughs> and I said, we can talk about it. <laughs> and after the meeting was over, he came up to me, and he says, Pastor, I know if this happens, you're going to be the pastor, and you're going to be the man in charge, but I sure hope that you consider letting us have this beast feast. We've been having it for 11 years. I've been leading that, and we have a lot of food and a lot of fun, and someone uh, proclaims the gospel, and every year men are brought to Jesus Christ. And he looked at me saying, Pastor, I know you'll agree with me that if one redneck comes to Jesus, it's worth it all. And in that moment, I just had a feeling everything was going to be all right. <laughs> I was standing out with the leaders in our church in the parking lot, and I told them this story. I am their pastor, and they did not believe me. And I said, no, 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 there he is right there. And I called him over, and I said, brother, I dare you to tell him what you told me. And he told them. And they were shocked, and he said, I'm going to... Shock you even more. But you don't know is all of us are rednecks. We've been covered by the blood of Jesus, who is our peace, who made peace, who proclaims peace to us. How to reach the masses, men of every birth. For an answer, Jesus gave the key. And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Oh, the world is hungry for the living bread. Lift the Savior for them to see. Trust him and do not doubt the word that he said, I'll draw all men unto me. Listen to this verse. Don't exalt the preacher. Don't exalt the pew. Preach the gospel Simple, full, and free. Prove him and you will find his promise is true. I'll draw all men unto me. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise 
for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king. We give you thanks and praise for the good news of his saving work that has called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. We were not a people. Now we are your people. We did not know mercy. Now we are beneficiaries of your mercy. And we are praying, Father, that beyond issues of culture and race and ethnicity and preference, that you would help us, Lord, to keep the main thing the main thing, and that the Lord Jesus Christ would truly be preeminent in our churches, and that from our pulpits, he would be proclaimed as the one who is peace and the one who made peace by the blood of his cross and the one who proclaims peace to those who are far and to those who are near. And as the gospel of your glorious grace is proclaimed, and not just proclaimed, but lived out in fellowship with one another, may those who are far and near hear this good news and be saved. And may revival begin afresh and in a greater way in our land, as the church is the church to your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. To keep up to date with episodes, visit us at ERLC.com. And don't forget to join us next week as we hear a message that encourages parents who feel like they've failed.